The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. John, didn't you just throw yourself at something pretty hard? I did. I did. Luckily, I didn't throw myself literally. Uh, So I did a 14-mile trail race, foot race. Uh, with some thousands of feet of vertical gain in, in the lovely state of Vermont. Mm. Basically up a mountain, down a mountain, part way up another mountain. And um, I didn't throw myself on the ground, but wh- what happens in a single track trail race like that is that you end up clustered with people. And we were running behind an an older guy. I'm going to guess he was 60. I'm 50. He asked if we wanted to pass. And I thought, well, we certainly could because we could go faster. But maybe it's better to stay behind him because it was a very technical climb. And I was like, maybe faster isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. And about 90 seconds after he asked us and we demurred, he put his left foot on a very long, smooth, wet rock. And and then both of his feet were level with his head. And then he bounced off that rock, I would say on one of his shoulders. And I think at that point he he accelerated away from us. (laughs) (laughs) Which I can laugh about because he was not concussed. And actually, it was... Seemed uninjured. We 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 got him up. We didn't, you know, crawl over his corpse to pursue glory. We we helped him up and we scraped the mud off him and, you know, did a did a basic uh, health check. He insisted he was fine. So we continued. And then we didn't see him again until the finish. And he came in and I went over and I I shook his hand and asked how he was doing. And he was just chipper. Neat trick. Yeah, he's a Vermonter, and they're they are built differently there. Yeah, even unto New Englanders, Vermonters and New Hampshire, yeah. New Hampshireites and uh, Mainers. Mainers. They yeah. are a they are a different species. They are of hardier stock. Yes. Firmer yes. of spirit. If not I, I of concur. body, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I threw myself at something hard. Um, it was very hard. Uh, I am happy with how it went. Cool, neato. Yeah, there was a grasshopper last weekend. Uh, a a rerunning of the two day Mendo Hopper from Ukiah to Fort Bragg uh, on Saturday, and then Fort Bragg back to Ukiah by a very different route on Sunday. And I was not there for that. I am not currently <laughs> fit enough. 
yeah. for that. And uh, I, I have many feelings about this, but some of them aren't all that negative. You have feelings about having not been there. Yes. And, yes. And some of them uh, include things, I'm going to guess, like, I'm glad I have the maturity to have seen how unfit for purpose I am currently and didn't put myself in the hurt locker. Um, that's kind of, that's close. Yeah. Well, elaborate. Well, so I'm not actually great at math, um, (laughs) but it doesn't take a real math genius to go, okay, last time they ran this, you were more fit than you currently are. And on day one, you were sixth from last and on day two you were fourth from last Mm. and you know how some cycling events are like you get you know the within the first like 10 minutes you've got a hundred people coming in together and you know in the in the second hour you know you've got another 100 in the third hour it's 50 the fourth hour it's you know and then like the difference between next to last place and last place is often like, you know, an hour. Right. Uh, I witnessed that on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want to be the guy who, you know, after nightfall, Miguel is out driving the course going, I wonder where Patrick is. Right. That didn't actually sound like any fun for me either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting as I age, my relationship with the results changes mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> in a positive way. Um, I don't want to get into my results from Saturday. I will say that they were positive. There you go. Um, but having said that, I don't I don't care that much. My goal was to do well for me and feel good about it at the end. And so I succeeded in that. Um, having said that, the truth is, I don't want to be last. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want them to be breaking down the refreshments table. <laughs> yeah. When, when I come in. Yeah. There was a, a, a century that I once did uh, in Western Massachusetts that was going to have a barbershop quartet at the finish, um, along with all the various food. And for reasons I no longer comprehend or recall or both, I got a very late start on that century. And I came in at a point where the barbershop quartet had packed up and left but so had the food and that ended up feeling pretty zero sum for me. Like I escaped the barbershop quartet, which I didn't really (laughs) want to hear, but I also escaped the food, which, you know, after a hundred miles kind of, kind of, yeah. You don't want to escape the food. Yeah. 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 So, uh, that was a decidedly zero sum outcome. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's very interesting. I, um, I mean, I've had uh, sort of intense conversations with a friend of mine who raced with me uh, since then about results and what they mean and what they're worth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the time when I could be close on a result and have that be motivation to push harder is pretty much gone. And now Mm. my results Mm -hmm. are relative to like, you know, for this thing, for example, two, you know, two, almost three weeks ago now, I did a slightly longer, slightly harder effort and dehydrated horribly, like as bad as I ever have. I had a terrible experience and it sort of terrified me. So this thing was really about not falling apart and running, you know, yeah, yes, running to my potential, but it was like not die and, re, you know, best worst case, don't die. Best case, run as well as you know you can. And I got mm. much closer mm-hmm. to running as well as I knew I could than than falling apart. So that's how I and then, you know, we get into <clears throat> you know, who placed in their age groups and stuff like that. And I just start, my eyes just start to glaze over. <laughs> I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, what's your pull on this week? Oh, yes. Uh, the actual podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I have been thinking a bit about cycling culture and i don't mean any of the subcultures that think they're the culture i'm Mm. looking at you roadies what (laughs) what i mean is the total zeitgeist around bicycles at any given moment you know what makes it who's contributing who's leading Mm. this is akin Mm. to my theory that at least within the industry that's trying to sell bikes and bike related stuff there's normally a dominant what I call animating idea. For example, Lance Armstrong in the early 2000s. The animating idea was that riding road bikes fast was an awesome thing to do and everyone should try to do it. On a team. Yeah, or otherwise. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or more recently, gravel riding. Right, Mm -hmm. that's the current animating idea. And you'll note that it's not as powerful an animating idea as the road boom of the early 2000s was but it nonetheless it's kind of the most obvious animating idea of the moment e-bikes e-bikes would be another one right yep so bike there's packing a, too bike packing exactly yeah so there's a certain amount of push that comes from bike companies but that push is never without like a kernel of real world input right people were mm-hmm. ro- starting to ride or not even starting but people were ro- more and more riding cyclocross bikes on dirt roads and single track Product managers cottoned onto that and created a bike that was arguably better at doing it than a cyclocross race bike. Mm -hmm. So there are influencers, not in the social media sense, but there are people who influence what's going on. And I'm not but I'm not sure they are who we think they are. Right. For example, by the time you see someone on Instagram who is an influencer in the bike world. The idea that they're pursuing already exists. Yeah. They may grow yeah. the idea, but so on some level, this question's a little academic. Those of us who want to evolve the culture each have to do our own part. I get mm-hmm. that. And I hope that my attitudes, my personal behavior around cycling have progressed in a positive way. That's probably not for me to say. <laughs> I'll leave that to <laughs> I'll leave that to the listeners and um 
all those adjacent to me. But as a single person, I don't feel like I have a lot of influence, even though I, I have some, you know, small platform here. I wonder if there are people out there who feel they have that actually feel they have more impact Mm -hmm. or if Mm -hmm. it really is this big, fantastic mess of humans unconsciously collaborating to produce something that's both distinct cycling culture and nebulous at the same time (laughs) in the sense of like, (laughs) what, what even, what even is it right now? Uh What do you think? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Am I, is this? Um, I, well, fundamentally, I kind of have a problem with the whole idea of an influencer. Um, because my take, and I mean, I might be completely alone in this take on it, but it seems to me it's about power. You know, it's about being able to push a population of people in one direction or another. And I'm not sure that's antithetical to what I'm about, but it certainly is not what I'm about. You know, my, my career as a writer writing about cycling, as I often told advertisers uh, or just bike company, you know, marketing types when I would talk to them um, and they would talk to me about my journalistic duty and this and that. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> I don't, you know, my job at the end of the day is to be really blunt customer retention. My job is to keep people excited about cycling. It's to keep them from deciding, oh, hell, I'm going to take up golf instead. Or, uh, you know, there's a there's a new tennis racket on the market. My job is when someone closes a browser window after reading my work, Um, I really, all I want out of that experience for them is to go, oh yeah, I am definitely going for a ride in the morning or tomorrow after work, whenever. My job is to keep people excited about cycling. It's about connecting with that reader or listener. And so, you know, am I looking to, to push people in one direction or another? No, I don't care what you ride. I don't care how long you ride. I don't care, you know, where you ride. Do you like riding? Cool. It's a really wonderful thing. And there's so much to it in terms of how it feeds us, how it feeds our souls, how it uh, allows us to connect to other people. That's the part I care about. Do I really care about I mean, would I like to reach more people? Sure. We all want, those of us doing this, want an audience. But at the end of the day, I think about each connection, one reader or one listener at a time. I want to find something sort of universal in the cycling experience to speak to. So, influencer? I don't know. That's... (laughs) Also, also, here's the other piece of it, and that is my parents raised me to be a modest person, Um, and that has paid some rather uh, nice social dividends, and it has also caused me some real problems in other ways in that I can walk into 
uh, a situation with a bunch of people in the bike industry and spend a couple moments wondering if they remember who I am. Sure. Uh, that's not necessarily a really helpful thing, but I don't really go around thinking about my fame. I don't think of myself as an influencer. I think, I think it's as simple as, um, there, there is a 12 step program, uh, that, um, that describes itself as a program of attraction, not promotion. Yeah. And I think that sums it up there, right? That's like, I'm not that important in this story. <laughs> What's important yeah. is what we all love to do. The other, the other piece, and I, I agree with you completely. Like the point is to get people excited about riding bikes. At the same time, I feel like there is a, a latent mission an evolution from, you know, for example, when we were with Red Kite Prayer to what we're doing with Cycling Independent, which is to bring all along all the people who already consider themselves cyclists, <laughs> who already identify as part of the club, but also give some um, give some inspiration to people who maybe don't think that they're cyclists, but really are, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my, yeah. I, 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 a lot of the things I write on cycling independent are tongue in cheek, you know, parody comedy, whatever you want to call them. And I have people ask me questions, uh, about, you know, whether I'm doing things properly. <laughs> as if not. I don't know, which is, which is fair enough because I prevent, present myself as, um, bumbling, which is, you know, par partially accurate. Um, but my point in presenting myself that way is, is really more about not pretending to be the no, know it all expert person. Mm -hmm. And, and to put a human face on what can seem um, alienating in cycling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. to give people who don't know how to um, uh, set up a set of tubeless tires or don't know how to adjust brakes or just whatever they don't know how to do. Or maybe their bike handling skills aren't that great. They don't feel comfortable on a trail. They don't feel whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We're all in some stage of idiocy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Even even the influencers, even the people out in the world who are better than me, better than you at whatever thing, whatever very narrow thing you're judging them on. They're they're an idiot just like you. Right. They yep. still I think about this every time I put on a pair of bib shorts, every time I put on a pair of bib shorts. I remember too late that you should sit down to do that because I try to do it standing. And of course I catch a toe in the leg gripper and then I'm hopping oh. around on one foot in the closet. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm probably naked. Well, I would hope. And More if or you, less. I mean, and if, yeah, it's that came out wrong, uh, <laughs> but please continue. <laughs> well, it's very humbling. It's very humbling to be naked hopping around in your closet, one leg in your bibs and one toe caught in the other leg gripper. 
Anytime I think, man, you're a hot shit cyclist or you really you really know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I just flash back on pretty much every time I put a pair of bib shorts on and I think I am I am God. a rank amateur. I am a rank amateur. The moment my hand has to go out and steady myself against the bed or a wall or something, yeah, that's that's when all that hubris evaporates. Right, right. And so, so I would say yes, get people excited about cycling, but also help people to understand that cycling as a as a club is full of people who don't know what they're doing. And they're all yeah. they're all paid up members by throwing a leg over and turning some pedals. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, when I started RKP, the idea was to uh, write about cycling in a way that appealed to dedicated cyclists. Right. Uh, uh, as I sometimes refer to it, you know, the secret handshake. I don't want a secret handshake anymore. I want to be the Kearney Barker out in front of the tent saying, you got to come see this, come join us. Um, It's a very different take on what it means to be a cyclist or to write about cycling. But there, there came a point during the Lance age where everyone was too cool for thou. Um, And I just got so fed up with that stuff. Um, Having people who were, you know, new to the sport, looking at me like I was some kind of Fred um, was like, wow, OK, we we may be taking ourselves a little too seriously here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that I wasn't a Fred. I, you know, <laughs> right. likewise, if if the leg grippers are longer than about an inch and a half or two inches, I'm catching a toe. Yeah. 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 We've all got so, a Fred in us. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting half an hour into a two hour ride and realizing you left your bottles sitting on the counter. <laughs> I have never done that. I mean, other than last week. Right. Or yesterday. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, and just the world is so much nicer when we can all be vulnerable enough to say, <laughs> yeah, I um, <laughs> I got that one really wrong. Right. Yeah, the the worst thing that people people say to me about cycling is they say, "Oh, you." They know me as the bike guy. The worst thing they say to me is uh, about their own cycling. Well, I'm not serious like you are. And I think I think to myself, <laughs> you said that to me. <laughs> Have you met me? What are you talking about? I yes. oh, just because I've been doing it, I don't know. And I say to them all the time, or they say, I don't have nice bikes like you do. I'm like, all bikes are nice. What are you, what are you even talking about? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, it sort of, I get where they're coming from, but I also want to say like, don't put that on me, <laughs> right? <laughs> don't uh-huh. put that on me. We, I don't think that I have any more fun than anyone else riding a bike. I don't have access to a, some well of fun that other people don't. Uh, well, I'm I'm unaware of there being a fun scale where we can compare our experiences. That's what I mean. I mean, I just I mean, think, once you're like, smiling, isn't it all pretty much the same? Right. Yeah. I don't say just shut up and ride your bike. I'd like to. Oh. And, but I mean it. But I mean it in a positive way. 
Like, don't don't even think about me. Like, I am not I am not part of your cycling story. You are (laughs) (laughs) just just it's fine. Yes. Yes. Um, Or, Or you invite someone along for a ride and they say, I'm not fast enough to ride with you. And I I think, first of all, you have not seen how slow I am. But second of all, if I ask you to ride with me, it's because I want to spend time with you. What 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 does fast have to do with that? Yep. 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 Uh, You know, a a year or so ago, uh, I was, you know, I was recording with Celine and we were talking about this very thing of riding with other people. And I said that, you know, if I invite you to go for a ride with me, I mean to ride with you, not against you. I'm not there to race you. And lo and behold, one of our listeners out there, you know, grabbed a photo from one of their group rides and turned it into a little meme. I was so incredibly gratified that somebody pulled that out and said, we need to propagate this idea more. Um, And, you know, it's one of the... It's not like I'm proud that it was my idea, just that it's a good idea. Right. It's a good idea. And we, as a, as a culture, as a community, as a tribe, we would do well to think about that more often so that when we invite someone for a ride, we don't have to do that silly dance of, no, the whole point is to like, you know, if my... If my heart rate's above 130, I'm getting it wrong, okay? I don't want to have to say that. Right. Yeah, I like that idea that if I invite you along, I'm not I'm I'm not riding against you. I'm riding with you. That is completely true for me unless we're talking about my friend Bruce. Bruce, if you're out there, I'm riding against you. But Bruce well, aside, everyone else. Everyone yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. That works. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break and we'll be back. Toy boat. We will be back in, uh, well, less than a minute, or maybe it is slightly more than. Okay. We're going to come back soon. The Pace Line is brought to you by the Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your pull, Patrick. You know, it's funny. Uh, well, actually, wait. <laughs> I'll do a little edit. Before we get to my poll, I want to take just a moment uh, to acknowledge the passing of a really lovely individual, uh, Max Cullaway, frame builder. Three 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 Fab uh, was the decal he was best known for, but he also built for Hampston Cycles and Seven. Uh, that's right. Did did his time at Seven, and um, he passed from cancer yesterday. 
And, um, God, he was a lovely individual. Um, and I just, you know, I, I, I could say a lot about him. Uh, but I just want to say to all those who knew him, Max, we miss you. Yeah, Max, uh, also one of the co-founders of Hop United, the uh, nationwide cyclocross tribe, um, along with Zach Dab and some some others. I don't know uh, who all of the individual uh, people were, but um, that ter- that's turned out to be a pretty positive uh, force uh, in the cycling culture. And it's influenced things. Um, and, and made <laughs> yeah. and made cross fun. One hub finds another. Yes. Yes. Okay. So my poll listener Tess messaged me to ask about heroes and if I still have cycling heroes or not. Um, and, uh, you know, if so, who inspires me? Um, so in a way this almost kind of dovetails with, uh, your issue of cycling culture. <laughs> It was, at least for me, a surprising question because I had been giving this very subject some recent thought, but wasn't thinking, oh, I need to talk about this on the pace line. So the short answer is I really don't have cycling heroes anymore. The heroes I did have, guys like Sean Kelly, Dutchman Stephen Rooks, Sean Yates, Greg Lamond, they're they're all retired. It's kind of hard to you know make them present tense heroes um even most of the riders from lance armstrong's generation who i thought were pretty stinking cool they've all retired um and you know it's um (laughs) i don't know i guess this is ageism let's just go ahead and convict me now it's hard for me to idolize someone young enough to be my kid (laughs) yeah Maybe that makes me a jerk. Uh, I'm sure other things do. The real issue is that I just don't admire the life of a pro cyclist the way I once did. I no longer have fantasies about going to Europe to race 197 other guys on roads eight feet wide and living like a monk and never seeing my family. Um, That's not sexy no. at this point in my life. I used to tell people because my two big sports have been cycling and soccer and they they say, Oh, would you want to, do you wish you had been able to? And I was like, I would be a soccer player. I would show up for a few hours, kick the ball around. I could do the fitness work. That would be fun. But as much as I love riding my bike, I would never in a million years sign up for that, that, raft of suffering (laughs) no thanks i mean you know one of the crazy things about being a pro cyclist the suffering doesn't end after you get off the bike um well there's you know there's the being away from your family there's the hotel food there's you know there's the don't eat the food there's the there's so much i mean have yeah some of the hotels like the big races some of the hotels they stay in Oh, (laughs) there are other factors that play into this as well, like the fact that while cycling is arguably the cleanest it has ever been, um, the doping is the most covert it has ever been in the history of the sport. (laughs) Doping is no longer done with a wink and a nod. It's done like a bank heist. And I just don't have time in my life 
for the moral dilemma that comes with that. I don't like having to ask my question myself a question about the moment someone crosses a finish line with their hands held aloft. I don't like having to go, I wonder if they're doping. I, I just, I don't want to deal with the question anymore. Um, but I'll tell you who I do admire, though. Any number of pro-women writers out there. Um, there are a bunch of them who are busy holding down real jobs, are real professionals. You know, this isn't just dumping the mustard at, at McDonald's. You know, this is being an accountant and doing all sorts of other things that, you know, required a four-year degree. And because there is so little money in women's racing, which is a tragedy that, that ought to be fixed, the positive upside of that is there is a very high probability that the vast majority of all women racing are clean. Right. So that eliminates one moral dilemma. I, it, but here's kind of my, my pinnacle therein. Kristen Armstrong's gold medal in the time trial at the last Olympics, which she won after becoming a mom. That's my favorite Olympic cycling moment of the last decade, maybe last several decades. Yeah. Uh, that's something that, you know, the way she managed to balance all of those things to pull that off. She had retired. Let's not forget. She had retired and came out of retirement to go gold medal once again. <laughs> you guys hold my coffee. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, really, day to day, the people who inspire me are the every and oh, man, this is going to sound lame. This is going to sound like I'm puffing something, blowing a skirt. But it's really true. The people who inspire me are the everyday Joes who take off on bike packing trips deep into the middle of nowhere. Like just recently, my friends, Adam and Anna here in Santa Rosa, they just did a multi-week trip in Oregon and their posts. Oh my gosh. They were a couple of days that included just stupidly difficult slogs, like pushing their bikes for miles at a time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and, and this was vacation. There's my friend Romany, uh, who got a break from mothering and lawyering this spring and went down to San Diego for the stagecoach 400, which is 400 miles of challenging backcountry bikepacking, sometimes in very sandy stuff that was a little sloggy in its own right. So I, I think. Part of this is the fact that I don't admire the person with one thing to do in their life. I admire the juggler, the Chinese plate spinner, the person who has multiple commitments and responsibilities and still finds the time to ride and the motivation to go hard in training. That's what I find inspiring. Yeah. That's my hero. Yeah. Honestly, right now, with all the different things I'm juggling, I'm not going hard on most of my rides. I just, I don't have that. Yeah, um, I can relate. So, <laughs> who do you admire? Who's your hero? Um, I'll just throw out two names. Uh, and hero is wrong. Admire is right. Like, I don't think having heroes is that helpful. Um, because it, it, it makes the assumption that this person is somehow different than you are. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If they're really different than I am, I don't know what's to admire. 
they're playing with a different pack of cards, right? They've got whatever they're. What I what I think with this jives with what you were saying, the people who are regular human beings and and are doing extraordinary things, I think of. First, I always think of Lael Wilcox, um, mm-hmm. who does big, crazy things. And what I love about Lael isn't that she does big, crazy things or that she does them fast or whatever. But anytime you see her or hear her, she's so damn cheerful. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and there's not mm-hmm. there's not a look at me aspect to it. It's really like you can tell she just loves doing what she does. And I I really <laughs> admire that. I love the person who is, you know, she tells a great story, too, about how she discovered latently. That's I'm sorry, I'm stuck on latently today, but uh, <laughs> how she discovered later in life that she was really good at riding bikes. <laughs> like she showed up for some. I think it was a mountain bike race, a bunch of dudes. She was the only woman there, a bunch of dudes all kitted out. And, you know, she crushed them all wearing like (laughs) cotton, (laughs) cotton and running shoes, right? Yes. Um, So I I do admire Lael. Uh, Lachlan Morton, Mm -hmm. uh, who just did that, uh, who just did the, the tour and all of the transfers. Uh, ahead of the Tour de France. Um, I mean, he's pretty cool. That That is distinctly cool. Yes. Uh, that was nutty in one of the best uh, best ways possible. Yeah. Um, just an absolutely silly pursuit. Um, yeah. The be- and I mean, the best thing he never, never got to draft. No, never, never got, got to, to draft, draft anybody. The best thing he said after, and I'm paraphrasing, is that was harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> I hadn't heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you thought. I don't know what your thought, per- but yeah, I, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> that's like a diplomat coming back from Middle East peace talks going, man, this is going to be tough. That's right. <laughs> Gosh, those folks are they really dug into their positions. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. You know, I a thought occurs to me though, um, in terms of other people I really admire right now. Event organizers, the people who yeah. go out and dream, particularly the ones doing like gravel events, um, you know, where you're linking up stuff that, you know, isn't in one state park or something, you've got to like, oh, we'll use this stretch of road here and then we'll go up this. And they're talking to like 16 different entities getting approvals for the event. Yeah. Um, and then, you know. Yeah. Covering all the logistics and everything. So guys like uh, Miguel uh, with the grasshoppers, uh, Carlos with Bike Monkey, Murphy Mac, another one. I've yet to actually do any of his events because of Miguel and Carlos, but uh, it's on my list to finally get around to doing. Um, Dave Pryor, uh, Celine Yeager's husband back in Pennsylvania. Um, Brian Ignaton, another uh, organizer in the Pennsylvania area, former teammate of mine and somebody putting on really neat events. These cats, you know, who it's such a thankless job, 
you know, going out and like creating the course, then talking to all the entities. And then like you go out and you mark the course and then you got to make sure everybody actually came in afterward. And then you got to unmark the course. Yeah. Yeah. And pick up all the wrappers and whatnot that everybody dropped who they promised when they promised they wouldn't. And they don't get to ride. Right. This is like their life revolves around riding and they're they're taking the day or a lot of time of not riding in order to put this thing on for people. Yeah. It's when you set your own riding life aside at some level, uh, so that you can create, uh, Maslow type experiences for other riders. Yeah. That, that deserves a, a, you know, an extra beer raising um, or something. Yes. Yes. So there we go. Um, that's about as close to a hero as I may have right now. Sure. Yeah. All righty. Uh, I think would be time for Paceline Picks. Okay. Uh, this week I'm picking BMX cruisers. Oh, the hot new thing in cycling. <laughs> Is it the hot new thing? It seems to be. And I don't object to that because I love seeing, you know, 14 year olds tearing around town doing wheelies on bikes. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, it's based simply on uh, there's a, you know, I mentioned a few weeks ago, there's a new local bike shop uh, near me and mm-hmm. they have a small inventory of BMX cruisers. And I I have been in the industry for a while, but I still love bike shops. I still love to wander around and look at all the stuff and touch it and whatever. I've never thought that shopping for bike stuff online was any kind of substitute for going in and seeing the thing and holding it and figuring (laughs) out whether it was going to work for you. But anyway, so they have BMX cruisers and I, I keep stopping. I was in there actually just this morning. And I, I, I was like, oh man, that looks like a lot of fun. So I've begun actually the arduous process of convincing my wife that getting a BMX cruiser isn't the worst idea. Um, we've come up against separate from actually purchasing one. Just the, the idea part is that like, it's a phase. Yeah. Okay. Phased approach. Okay. Um, it's like, um, it's like, uh, when the allies, when, when the U S came into world war two and moved, you know, massive numbers of GIs across the Atlantic. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're just stationing your forces, uh, in great Britain. I, I would say at this point, I'm still ferrying, um, knock teenagers into bus depots, uh, in the middle West. That's where I am in my oh. mobilization. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, the prospect of one of these, one of these magic little fun sleds, uh, actually arriving in my house anytime soon is low, but this may, if you're successful, this may not happen until like next spring. That's right. Right. So the thing about the BMX cruiser to me is that it, it embodies the idea of riding aimlessly. Yeah. It is a yeah. knock around bike. <laughs> that is, that is true in just, a, a an almost mythic way. Yes. Yeah. There's no purpose for that bike other than tooling around aimlessly. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not a built bike. It's a, duh. it's not a bike built for going places. It's not, and it's not a bike built for 
BMXing. Also true. I mean, you can do some BMXy stuff. You can do wheelies. You can jump them a little bit. You can freestyle them a little bit, but they're not purpose built. They're just kind of like the Swiss Army knife of knock around, be a kook kind of bikes. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think even if you just roll around your neighborhood, you're going to have a hard time not enjoying yourself. Well, it's a bike. It's a bike. Any bike is better than no bike. It is. It is. And as I'm saying all this, I'm thinking my real pick here is aimlessness. <laughs> Doing things without concrete ends. I think humanity needs more aimlessness. It's play. Yeah. It's therapeutic. It's humanizing. If you can do it on a bike, you should, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've, absolutely. I've never not loved having a cruiser of some sort. So what's what's your bang around town bike right now? Uh my Yuba, Yuba. spicy curry. Yeah. Yeah. So uh it's kind of the opposite yeah, of a BMX that. cruiser. No, no. Uh physically impossible. Yeah. Um and very much made for going places and doing things. But yeah. It is in its own crazy little way, sort of stylish. Yeah. Um, and then there's the the pleasantness of having the Bosch motor on it so that I get the little E assist. Um, that's, you know, the acceleration that comes uh, with having that motor. It's never unpleasant. <laughs> A little help always helps. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. And when you've got, you know, 110 pounds of kids on the back without that motor, you know, I can verify that I have to kill myself to do 11 miles an hour. Right. Um, and that's not actually fun as it turns out. Huh? I, be- yeah. I, I guess I believe you. I actually think a bike that, um, you can't ride fast is good for you. I can understand there'd be some like aversion therapy time where you're like, I can't, I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But then you surrender and you're like, oh, I'm just moving slowly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like getting a hug when you're in a bad mood. I think so. I, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's, <laughs> that's actually a really good analogy. Don't touch me. <laughs> but I need this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for ignoring what I said. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, BMX cruisers. Uh, maybe this is the next animating idea in in cycling culture. You better run out and get yours. Get down to Battle Road Bikes on Mass Ave if you are local to me, and get one today. Uh, what's, oh. What What do you got for picks this week? Well, uh, you know. We don't normally pitch it out this way, but uh, listener Brian wrote in with a question that was not the subject of a poll, but really appropriate to a paceline pick. He asked if I have a favorite summer glove. Um, now, when re- he didn't specify, but I took that to mean uh, short finger gloves for road riding or maybe gravel riding. And as it turns out, I do. Uh, and my pick this way is absolutely unchanged for something like 15 years. My favorite short finger glove is the summer glove, all one word from that great Swiss company, Asos. 
Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is the most expensive short finger glove in history, uh, or at least that I've encountered at $49. But it is also easily, easily the best glove I've worn. Um, it mostly comes down to three details. So first, the glove is closureless, so there's no strap to deal with. More importantly, the lack of a strap strap eliminates bulk, and that makes the glove more comfortable, lighter, and on those really wet, humid, hot days, it's a much quicker drying glove. Um, so there's that. The glove actually includes absorbent terry cloth that you can use to wipe parts of your face uh, or other parts of your body. Uh, for me, it's mostly face. Uh, the use, I, this is a little bit of a diatribe that is not entirely relevant, but it is also very relevant. The use of micro suede and other materials as something that you can wipe your face with. Um, it's, it's just wrong. It's sort of criminal. Uh, it's, tantamount to trying to get a buzz on with non-alcoholic beer. It's just silly. I don't know why anybody pretends that this is a workable solution. Better to put a squeegee on the back of the glove, right? Yeah. Yeah. That would actually make a lot more sense. Mm. Some very soft rubber that I could just, yeah, straight across my forehead. Right. That would work. Yeah. Um, also the glove features padding, not too much padding, but also the padding that it does have is very well placed. Um, so those are all big things. There are some other things like uh, the seams are well placed. So the, the glove is just always really comfortable. Um, also contributing to this, I, as I mentioned, yes, a very expensive glove, but I can report that these gloves last a very long time. I have gotten more than five years of use I wrote here out of some pairs, but actually I think I've gotten more than five years out of every pair I've ever owned. Um, so even if someone sneezes at the big investment, their longevity easily justifies the expense. Um, so there will be a note, uh, a link to these in the show notes. Will they also air fry a turkey, those gloves? Uh, no, but they will hold your beer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I don't wear short fingered gloves anymore. Ever. Um, I just, mm. I'm either barehanded or full fingered. That's it. I, I will uh, admit that for gravel riding and mountain bike riding, uh, I am a full fingered dude. Um, <laughs> some of that is because of thistle and poison oak and other things like that. Um, but uh, any road ride longer than about two hours, I'm going to have short finger gloves on. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you I, anything long enough where I'm going to start wiping my face? Do you have a? Um, do you have a? Well, I, you know, I wrote a few weeks ago about the shoulder chamois, which is the sweat absorbent shoulder pad that you can. Uh, get there, but how would you feel about having chamois blocks? And when I say chamois, I mean like the ones you wash your car with on the uh -huh. backs of your cycling gloves. It would be bulkier, but can you just imagine the absorbency? How magical I mean, that would be? I would want a pair to review. I, <laughs> I would definitely want a 
pass that through my, you know, lower half and find out just how good they were. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm game is what I'm yeah, saying. I'm game. Yeah. I think we should be in yes. product development. Do you, do you have a long thing? No, I don't think we, no. <laughs> right, the ideas that we come up with would not be particularly saleable. It would be very expensive for, to produce and everybody would accuse us of being elitist. Sure. Fair enough. Do you have yeah. a long finger glove you like? Um, one of my favorites is from lizard skins. Oh. Uh, it's also closureless rather minimal dries quickly. Yeah. Um, not so great at the whole wipey wipey thing. Um, but they've, I mean, they make like so many different kinds of long finger gloves. I actually kind of wish that I could combine features from three different gloves of theirs into one, you know, custom glove of my own design. See, we should be in product development. We should be product okay, development consultants. Right. I don't, I okay. don't need to make products. I, w- okay. I was talking to a guy just this morning who's a pr- who was a, a shoe, a running shoe engineer. Uh-huh. And he would get the design from the designer and then he would build it out with the factory. Mm-hmm. And while that sounds neat, it's not a job I would ever want. It sounds like he's got the bad part of the job, the execution. I just want to. Well, it's management. Yeah. Yeah. I am not built for management. I am built for inspiration and creation. And you want me to lead the charge. You don't want me to rally the troops. Right. So I'm just saying that these companies could hire us to spitball on uh, what makes a good glove. I think we have ideas. And I am a world-class spitballer. Yeah. You can ask my fifth grade teacher. Yeah, I believe that. Maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. Yes. She... I don't, we shouldn't remind her about that. No. Yes. Um, all right. Well, that's probably a wrap on another episode of the pace line. We'll be back. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you have anything fun planned this weekend? Well, if you read TCI Friday, um, you might know that I was tentatively committed to a 24 hour mountain bike race. I have decommitted mm. for, from that based, <laughs> based new verb. You heard it here first. Decommitted. Yes. Uh, my friend Bruce, who I mentioned earlier, let me out of this particular uh, commitment. He it was it was a four man team, a four person team, I should say. Uh, and it was just the two of us. We couldn't seem to get anyone else. So. Uh, his proposal to me was, well, we could just go do the four man, four person thing as a two person thing. And, uh, having been soaked in sweat and mud in a faraway place last weekend, I just, I demurred. Yeah, I can see how that would happen. And Bruce, uh, I'm sure he will use it against me in future as he should, but he was very gracious in letting me back out. Yeah. He's going to keep that in his back pocket for sure. I offered to cover the entry fee. Cause that seemed, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's reasonable. Yeah. That's kind. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so I, this weekend I, you know, I don't have anything big planned. Uh, try to be a good hu- uh, husband and father. Mm-hmm. 
which is an epic struggle in my life. Um, anyway, what about- <laughs> it's it's harder for some of us than others. That's yes. right. It takes real work. Uh, what <laughs> yeah. do you got going on? Well, my mountain bike club has a little gathering. Uh, it'll be our first social outing of any sort since before the pandemic. And uh, there's this spot where we uh, are known to gather when we're out there riding that we refer to as the sound of music. Because uh, when you're there, you know, you're kind of waiting for Julie Andrews and the kids to start singing. It's that pretty. The hills are alive. Uh, it, they really are. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Switzerland would have done well to have Redwood Forest. Just let me tell you that. Yeah. So this will be our, our first little social event um, of, of the not yet post-pandemic world. Uh, and so I'm really, really excited about that. And I just got an email yesterday saying that there will be like t-shirts and hoodies and stickers and other stuff for sale. And, uh, given that I have two stickers and one t-shirt, uh, I'm going to show up with about 60 bucks. Yeah. It's like a, that's like a 14 year old headed to their first concert. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to get one of those shoe bags, you know, with the, the, the little ropey strap things uh-huh. and stuff that in my hydration pack, uh, so that then I can get everything back down the hill. I like, uh, it. cause I will be parked like five miles from where I'm buying this stuff. Uh, that's real think ahead purchasing. I like that. Uh, it just occurred to me, uh, maybe I should be talking to you more often as I make decisions. <laughs> Before we go, I want to let you know about a new podcast as we laugh at ourselves that John here is producing along with Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market. Um, It's called Revolting. And someday we're going to find out why it's called Revolting, but it's not actually literally revolting. It's also not a cycling podcast in the traditional sense, but it is, I can verify a good listen because I am actually the producer. I do all the mixing and everything. So I've heard what they're doing. Uh, and it is good fun. Um, I, I have sometimes had to roll things back a little bit because I was laughing so hard as they were, you know, uh, I'm pleased to say that we have some other new podcasts coming up as well. So there will be some announcements in the coming weeks. Uh, Keep those questions coming. You are sending us great stuff. If you got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments or feel free to message us on Facebook or, uh, I don't know, smoke signals even. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.